G'day community and welcome to the Jock Reynolds Supercoach Podcast. I'm Dog coming at you for round 17 and I'm joined by the one and the only, the inner sanctum legend himself, Foz. How are you, Foz? I'm good, mate. How are you? Oh, mate, I'm, I'm bloody fantastic. The Blues are coming off a second win in a row, which is... A, we're getting close to a three-peat, mate. And I know you Hawthorne supporters call it a three-peat, a different thing, but three games in a row, three-peat. No, it's big for you guys. I'm I'm very happy for you. Thanks, mate. It just means I'm nicer in the group chats. How are you going? How's your super coach season going, mate? How are you kicking goals? Uh, not really. I I've sort of started to drop off. The last week was a was a bit of a mess. I um forgot to reverse trades on Thursday, thinking that the game started at seven fifty, um, and I was unpleasantly surprised when I found that it had started about five minutes after I started to try and reverse those trades at 7.35. So um, got stuck with with Bont, and usually that wouldn't be a bad thing, but I was sort of joking about bringing him in at 700K. And um, yeah, an 83, his first sub 110 scores since like round four when he played North Melbourne again. Um, really didn't help my side and then forgot to loop Callum Coleman-Jones um, and he ended up scoring a five on, on my field. So not a great week for me, but... The good thing about super coaches is, is there is always next week to to redeem yourself, and hopefully I can just score thirty five hundred points to make up for it. <laughs> but mate, I reckon you're a good chance, particularly with Bont in your side to score thirty five hundred. Well, look, I, look, I didn't have a great round either. I'm a, I'm a little disappointed as well, Foz. And so we're gonna the first thing we, we're gonna try and get positive before we get really down. But we are going to talk about the biggest disappointments of the super coach year. But before we do. There was some very, very large scores. I haven't seen scores like this in quite some time. There was three 180-plus scores this week, and there was two 190-plus, which is insane to me. Paddy Dangerfield, for those who jumped on him at 400 and, or 500K, 495K, he pumped out a 184 against the Bombers, matched and, in fact, surpassed by Darcy Parrish, who is has a five-round average of 146, Foz. Pumped out a 190. And then Sean Darcy against the Blues topped all comers with a 193. It's been a long time since we've seen three scores north of 180 in a round. Yeah, it's a bit absurd, um, especially considering that Darcy and Dangerfield uh, played it. Sorry, not Darcy. I should probably be more clear. Parrish, because Sean Darcy also scored... uh, 180 plus, but um, Darcy Parrish and Dangerfield played against each other, and it's pretty rare to have two players um, score 180 plus or, or good scores like that in in the same match on opposing sides. It's actually the first time uh, two opposing players have scored 180 plus against each other, so uh, that's a nice little fun stat for you. Um, but yeah, it was a massive round, and if you combine that with players like Jack Steele and Tuke Miller. You know, McRae's pretty popular as well. These are all blokes who have scored 130, 140 plus. Um, yeah, all culminating in, in some massive 27, 2800 point scores for some teams, which is uh, I'm very jealous of. Yes, I'm incredibly jealous as well. I think Danger, who <laughs> I was like four grand short of bringing in because I decided I would hold a trade 
the week prior thinking that there'd be enough rookie movement for me to bring in Dangerfield. But then, as we know, Callum Coleman-Jones scored five points and Patrick Dangerfield scored 184 points. So I was unable to bring him in. But for those still looking at him, yes, you should still be considering him. He's got a break-even of 32. Fozzie's on his way to 600K. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. I was a bit hesitant trying to wanting to bring him in this round or last round as well. Um, just because we'd seen him have two really good first halves and then tail it off in the in the second half in both his last two games. So I did want to see a game where not only he scored over 100 and he cracked a ton, but also a game where he was able to, you know, push through in that second half and not and not uh, sort of die later in the latter stages of the match. So it was a bit unfortunate that he sort of seemed to power through and get better in that second half. But um, I have no regrets not bringing him in. Uh, I'll probably miss him again this week because I want to bring in Sam Walsh, the player I wanted to bring in last week and then oh, yeah. um, ended up bringing in Bontempelli instead. But um, Walsh, he's been on my radar ever since preseason and I ended up starting Crips over him, which was a massive mistake. And um, yeah, I've been trying to get him in all, all year. So he's the one I'll be chasing this week. Well, yeah, we let's let's get into disappointments. Sam Walsh, you know the rules. I'm not allowed to trade him in, but I encourage everyone else out there listening to do so. Darcy Parrish, huge congrats on your 190. What a beast of a man. Break even is 93. He is a, a under $11,000 away from hitting 700K. He's going to be the next player, we hope, this year to do it. And Sean Darcy, we also spoke about last week's pod, came out and did big things. If you want to trade them in, have a look at them. Go ahead. They're not going to do this every week, but we're very happy for them. Disappointment. That's what people come to listen to. That's what people are experiencing for the most part. Let's talk disappointments for 2021, Foz. Yeah, and I think the first one that is the most obvious one I just mentioned him before is Paddy Cripps. Um, in the preseason, everyone was talking him up, saying that his shoulder was fine, his back was better. Um, that he put on a bit more weight so he could bully around those those lighter frame midfielders and, and going back to the 20-minute quarters, everyone was really excited for. Um, but yeah, we just didn't see it and he, he never really um, even showed glimpses of his former self. And, you know, there was a couple of games here and there where he, you know, cracked a ton and, and looked like he was turning a corner, but um, he's just not having the same impact that he has had in, in previous seasons. So... Um, he's my biggest disappointment. I, I've not enjoyed having him in my team and hopefully can push him to an M9 um, come the end of the season. Yeah, I think I'm going to be stuck with him at M8. There's a good chance, though, that he's, that foot injury he suffered on the weekend might actually keep him out. He was able to play through the game and didn't kick it, which is actually how Patrick Cooper should be playing football, but that's a discussion for a Blues podcast. Uh, yeah, he's really disappointing. I don't have him at number one on my list. We're not ranking these in terms of disappointment, because that's too hard and too subjective. He's averaged, he hasn't been great since I bought him in. He's averaged about 90 since I bought him into my team. And I think he was about $411,000 when I grabbed him. So I'm not totally disappointed, but he's definitely been a disappointment. Not a player that I started. Too many question marks over him preseason health-wise and just couldn't reach the heights that we've previously seen and probably never will. The The best thing that we might see is that in the last, you know, six games, Fozzie plays permanently forward for the Blues and we get him as a forward option next year, but I doubt that's going to happen. The next guy I've got on my list, Foz, is, is a surprise. It's not a surprising one if you listened to our Fremantle Dockers preseason podcast because Damo 
was all over this guy. Michael Walters, Damo said, do not touch this man. He's going to play as a permanent forward. He's not going to do anything, even in a year where forwards sucked. Michael Walters will not be good. And Damo was right, Foz. He's lost $205,000. He's now $326,000. He has an average over the year of 64 Supercoach points, which is abysmal over 13 games. And his high score is 98 for the year. That was his only real score above about an 80. So he has been terrible this year. Yeah, I imagine that the 1.2% of people that still own him have given up a long time ago because um, at no stage should you be still carrying him and accepting his, his scores of 50 and 60 each week. And and he, it's just a case of, I guess, those younger midfielders at, at Fremantle pushing the older generation out. And we've seen that with Nat Fife a little bit um, where, you know, Chera and Brayshaw and, you know, Bewley's come back into the side in recent weeks and, and these younger players are just sort of taking over and, and there's been a changing of the guard a little bit at Fremantle, which Damo did call at the start of the year. And he said that Walters and Fife would play more prominently as forward um, options and allowing those, those midfielders to really develop and, and turn into stars of the game, which they have. Yeah. It's just disappointing. He's basically become a 10 disposal, one goal a game player this year. I know he's older, but it's, it's, I, we're thankful to the Supercoach gods that he did not play round one or round two because there would have been many, many Supercoaches falling into that trap. All right, have you got someone for me, Foz, on your list? Well, I just mentioned him, Nat Fife. Um, may as well just segue straight into him. Um, he's averaging 104.6 on the season, which is not the worst. Um, but if you're paying over 600K for a play, you want him to be averaging at least 110, pushing up to that 120 um, there's definitely more value at, at a 600k or a sub 600k this year than than what Nat Fife has been. Um, but his last three rounds, he's averaging 80, and his last five, he's averaging just under 90. So it hasn't been a great stint of football for him. He's obviously coming back from that shoulder um, concern, but he has played most of the season, which is pretty uncharacteristic for Fife. He's only missed, I think, three games. Um, but start of the year, you know, he started pretty well. He had. I think one score, yeah, one score of 92 in the first eight rounds. That was sub 100. The rest of the times he turned up. But since then, he's only turned up the once and that was against Sydney with a 124. So it's more just the second half of the season where there's been a clear shift in, in playing him as a more of a forward, rotating into the midfielding and allowing Chera and Brayshaw to, to really dominate in that those centre bounces. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one to see him struggle a bit as he has in the latter part of this year. I was telling you before the the podcast that I was watching the Fremantle-Carlton game with my lovely partner, and she said, how come you never say Fife is life anymore? <laughs> and I just had to had to shed a tear and say, just Fife ain't life no more. Fife ain't life no more. Uh, if he could become forward eligible next year, maybe he's maybe he becomes... Uh, Fife becomes life again, but you, you'd be disappointed if so. Twenty two percent of teams started him. Six percent of those teams traded him after round two, and then he went on a, a five game run of essentially going one twenty plus, but has just plummeted since then. So very disappointing from Nat Fife. Hopefully he can finish the season nice and cheap for us, and we can look at him as a forward option next year. An interesting one here I've got for you, Foz. We talked about him last week as one of the top 10 scorers in, in Supercoach. It's Max Gorn. Max Gorn 
has been a bit disappointing. And he's still the third-ranked supercoach selection in uh, in the game. And he's averaging 123. And these all sound like good things, but I'm disappointed. If I spend $750,000 on a selection, and maybe that's on me, maybe you should never spend that sort of coin on a player in supercoach, I expect 130 plus minimum, not 123. And then, you know, he's struggling against as you said earlier before we started recording, like guys who aren't that good. Yeah, and I don't know if it's... I don't think it's because he's lost anything. I, I still think he's quite a dominant player. I think it, it's more because Luke Jackson's coming to the side and, and Melbourne clearly have a vision for, for playing Jackson as that key forward, pinch-hitting Ruckman um, and slowly building up his minutes as a full-time Ruckman to take over the mantle of Gorn in however long... Um, before Gorney retires or, or moves on. Um, but it, there has been a clear shift at about halfway point, the halfway point of the season since um, round six, where Gorn had four scores in a row, or five scores in a row, sorry, of over 135, um, taking out that 93 in round one against Fremantle. He's only scored above 130 once, and that was against Brisbane. And even in the last two weeks, he scored 103 against Essendon, and that was Sam Draper, and then 100 against Flynn, um, against in G, for GWS, so it's he's not scoring well against the bad ruckman, um, like he has. He used to feast on these rookie ruckmen, and and when he came up against Max Lynch for Collingwood a few weeks ago, just before his buy, everyone thought, oh, here we go, he's gonna put up a 150, 160, and he he only scored the one twenty three, which is still a good score, and it's right on that verge of oh yeah, you take it as your captaincy score, but. Um, I think it's just a point of the season where we've got to expect that Gorn's going to shoulder probably 50% of the ruck load and, and allow uh, Luke Jackson to take the other 50% and, um, you know, float forward or, or drop back and and fill and plug different holes. But I don't think he's that full-time ruckman anymore, especially at Melbourne where, um, where Jackson seems to be thriving is that second ruck. Yeah, I, I agree. He's... He's struggled. He's lost $145,000 this year. He's averaging one point per minute. He's in 60% of teams. So I guess that's the silver lining is that pretty much everyone who's still playing has him in their team. But it is a little frustrating. But it's good. It's good for Melbourne. Like, it's good for the development of Jackson. It's good for everyone except super coaches, basically. But there you go. Top three score in the competition as we speak. Very disappointing year in my opinion. Do you have someone else for me, Boz? Uh, yeah, I think Lockie Neal has been uh, a, somewhat of a disappointment. Obviously, another player that started over 700K. Um, coming off that Brownlow last year, everyone expected him to just continue to ride that wave and, and continue scoring well. And started the year pretty poorly. Um, it came out about three or four rounds in that he was actually battling that back issue um, they said it was like a pinched nerve or, or something along those lines, but he was okay to keep playing through. Um, you know, a couple more rounds passed where he was not playing well. And then we realized that he had actually broken his back and was playing through a broken back, which is pretty crazy to think. Um, obviously missed a handful of games, missed five games from memory. Um, and then came back against Melbourne, had a score of 84, then a big score of 156 against North Melbourne. Everyone thought, here we go, he's... He's fit and he's healthy and he's he's going to score well again and then um, pinged his calf and missed last weekend and, and looks like he'll miss another week or two. So 
just another player that started at 700k and it, it seems to be a bit of a trend that these players who start really expensive are, are probably not the best options to start at the at the beginning of the preseason when when the you know you're building your team just because they're going to obviously dip in price like um, Neil has done and also Gorn has done. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting conversation, and I think it's it, it's highlighted when you look. And we spoke about this last week, so apologies if we're covering ground again here, community. But you look at guys like Jack McRae, who's averaging 127 for the year. His price has effectively stayed the same all year. Uh, guys like Jack Steele, his price has stayed the same all year. Jared Lyons, price has stayed the same all that all year. These guys who were just a tick over 600 or or a tick below 650 seem to have held their price. And maybe it's coincidence. Um, whereas these super uber expensive guys are certainly bleeding cash for us. And and Neil's no exception. It's really disappointing. Hopefully he can get nice and healthy next year for a, another domination in Supercoach. But uh, for now, he is a very big disappointment to anyone who started him. I've got another controversial one here. Another guy that's like in the top 20 for scoring or at least the top two in his position. Jake Lloyd, 23rd overall for scoring. I don't have him, so I'm disappointed that I don't have him. But I'm also disappointed that he's not produced kind of what we thought he was going to. Was priced at 650 at the start of the year. He's dropped $133,000. He's averaging 105 across the year with a three-round average of 90 and a five-round average of 104. On paper... You look at all his scores, low score of like, you know, oh, he's had a low score of 73 and then every other score has been 93 plus. But it's just not what we've come to expect from Jake Lloyd. Yeah, and I think a big part of that is the use of Jordan Dawson for Sydney. Um, We talked about it, I think, at the start of last preseason. So going into the 2020 year that it was Jordan Dawson's year to break out on that halfback flank and... Um, he didn't really fire in that position and, and Sydney have persevered and, and kept him there, obviously having a pretty good year himself. Um, but it's just impacted um, Lloyd's ability to, to get those cheap disposals that he loves. And obviously he still rolls off the back of the, the contest and, and collects and can distribute by foot at a pretty good level. Um, but Dawson is taking a lot of those kickouts now. Um, Rampy still takes some kickouts, but... Um, Lloyd's numbers have, have noticeably diminished this season. So we're not seeing those scores of 130 to 150 that he used to drop as often. Um, the sort of 90 to 120 is is pretty standard for him now. And we're, we're seeing that this year. And it's not a bad thing. It's just that you've got to set your expectations. And if you were purchasing him at the start of the year, you'd probably expect him to be that 131 plus you know, score or at least a 120 plus average. Now moving forward, I think we look at Jake Lloyd in different light. We look at him like a Tom Stewart or a, a Caleb Daniel, who we will speak about as those guys that we expect to be pretty consistent. And just quietly, you mentioned Jordan Dawson has snuck into the top fifty for scorers this year. He's forty sixth overall, which is a a pretty pretty decent return. So if you've got him, uh, well done to you. Let's talk about the next player on our list, Christian Petrarca. Now, I'm surprised to see him here. Uh, you've chucked him here, Foz. Why is he disappointing? Were we expecting Brownlow f- performances from him? I don't think Brownlow level football is is probably what you'd expect from him. But another player that started at over 600K 
another player that is relatively young um, in terms of, um, I guess, the the age of people in their prime. Um, you know, he's only 25 years old and he's coming off a year where he, he played predominantly as a, a midfielder, floated forward, kicked good goals and averaged 117 and a half. So the signs were pointing towards, okay, this man's going to turn into a bit of a super coach pig. Um, you know, he's going to really dominate in the midfield as he grows older and, and matures and becomes, you know, a, a more elite footballer than he was last year. So whether that is converts into Brownlow votes or whether that's, you know, an All-Australian um, Guernsey. But I think super coach wise we're expecting at least, you know, 110, 115 point average and probably more more realistically, you know, a 120 re- oh, relatively consistently um, sort of scorer. But um, he hasn't been that. He's averaging 105, 106 on the year. Um, hasn't really taken games on and, and really dominated. His high score of 146 against Geelong in round four was the highest we've seen so far and, and a couple of other 130s in there, but not to the extent that we expected him to. And and everyone sort of talks about that next Dusty or the next sort of star player. And, and Christian Petrarca was labelled that um, and he hasn't truly delivered this year. Yeah, I think at the start of the season, if you took, say, like Darcy Parrish's stats and didn't put a name on them and you said, guess which up-and-coming mid this is, people would have thought it was going to be Christian Petrarca. They would have thought that he would have been producing those sort of performances. And it's not that he's been poor, it's just that he's been below probably what we expected. And maybe that they're a victim of, of Melbourne being a much better team and getting much more even contribution across the board with a healthier list that they've had this year. Maybe that's maybe that's what's doing it. Maybe that's costing guys like Gorn, Oliver and Petrarca all these super high points that we, we were expecting. So the next one I think that's worth mentioning would be Rowan Marshall. Um, obviously, was a very highly picked player at the start of the year. Um, you know, running through preseason, everyone looked at him as that, you know, oh, he's, you know, available to be picked as a ruckman, can be picked as a forward, but we're expecting him to be in that top six sort of range. And unfortunately, um, he hasn't quite gotten there uh, obviously battled a few different injuries throughout the season, so he has been a bit hit and miss. Um, what's your take on him, Lech? What do, you, what do you think? Yeah, I think we all thought this guy was a lock for top six forwards at the very least. I know that you know he was in every person's preseason team when the team picker dropped until he got injured. He missed those first three rounds of the season, came in around four and struggled, but then backed it up in round six with a 132 and then he had an 86 and a 107 we thought oh yeah he's uh he's on the way then he gets injured pumps out a 43 misses five or six games comes back goes 68 we go okay we still think there's something there and he pumps out 100 against collingwood last round he's now 120k cheaper than he was at the start of the year he has a break even of 88 he's going to be one of the most traded in players this week and i understand that but overall, he's been a disappointment just from his body stance this year. And I'm trading him in this week, Foz, but I am terrified that he's going to get hurt again and that maybe he's not being managed super well given he just keeps coming out of this team. Yeah, it's a bit disappointing. Um, a couple of those injuries that he's had, are, I wouldn't say prevented. They could be prevented because it's it's sort of hard to predict that. But, you know... It, it's 
whether it's poor management getting him back onto the field, him only playing a couple of games and coming out, it's a similar sort of thing you'd look at with Jeremy Cameron on the weekend. Like, was he truly fit to to play? He had a fitness test in the rooms five minutes before the game started, and then you know halfway through the match he pulls his hamstring for the third time this season, and you just got to look at it and, and think: is he you know actually a hundred percent, or is the side just missing his his presence? So, um, I don't think you can put all the blame on on Marshall. Um, no, but. You know, questions have to be asked about the the fitness regime and, and why he keeps getting injured. No, I think, look, I think a lot of these players are disappointing because we've missed them and they've been injured and it's impacted their form. One bloke that we knew was going to be injured and missing and impacting his form, but yet I'm still equally disappointed, is Isaac Heaney. He's currently $349,900. He is $105,000 cheaper than he was at the start of the year. Break even is 68. He's only averaging 75 points for the year and 60 over his last three games. Another guy that has missed games with injury. If you'd started him like 11% of teams had and got a 115 and a 102 out of him and were then one of the 4% of teams that traded him in, you'd be very bloody disappointed. He's only had four scores above 100 and a hell of a lot of scores below 60 for when are we going to learn that Isaac Heaney is not a super coach selection? I don't think we'll ever learn that he's not a super coach selection. He's he's exactly what you want from a a super coach pig in that you know he can play midfield and and play pretty well in the midfield. He can go forward and kick goals, um, but obviously his body's at concern. He he gets seems to get injured every year, um, but also the fact that um, John John Longmire seems to like him as a key lead up forward also doesn't help his prospective scoring. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I haven't had him this year for the first time in probably four or five years, and it feels like a weight's been lifted off my shoulders. It's fantastic. Um, however, I was tempted when he hit that sort of 300, sub 300K price. Uh, I, I did look at him and go, geez, could he just straighten himself out for a little bit? But I'd already taken the risk on Josh Kelly. Um, I hate owning him just because he's a an injury waiting to happen and I, I couldn't afford to have two of them in my side. All right. Well, let's move on from Isaac Heaney. Jordan Ridley's name is in this list. I think I think we might have a little bit of a debate here, but I'm I'm open to hearing your point of view. Jordan Ridley, disappointment. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, and I'm coming from it probably at a slightly different angle as that, than you are because... I brought him in the week that he got, got concussed and scored bugger all. So that's very I, disappointing. <laughs> yeah. So not only did I cop the the subpar score of um, what was it in the end? He How scored thirty one. Thirty one against Brisbane. Um, apart from copying that, I also missed him for a week and then have only seen him score two tons up until the last month. So um, there are a lot of eighties in there. Uh, there was a sixty four as well. Um, and in the last three rounds, he's averaging 110.3, which is much better. Um, but he also was the one of the top scorers in Supercoach with an average of about 130, 135 after four weeks. So um, I think it's more looking at it from a point where he was scoring so well. Um, he looked like a real um, must-have. And, and at 615K, when I bought him in, was a new... Uh, thinking to myself, oh, it's just too much money to pay for a defender. Um, and now he's sitting at 495 and 52K cheaper than he should 
than he started the year. So uh, there's disappointment in that. But I just think that with Essendon, their, their back set up as well is not the way it was at the start of the season where Ridley was taking all the kickouts and was peeling off the back and getting those cheap possessions and setting up the play. But now Dyson Heppel's doing it a lot more. He's taking a lot of the kickouts. Mason Redmond's taking a lot of the kickouts and, and Laverde's doing it as well. So um, he's having to share the sugar a lot more than he did in the first month of football, which is um, quite annoying for someone who brought him in just as that the, the roles changed. Yeah, no, it's totally understandable. Last year, he averaged 101.9 across the year, so he averaged 102. This year, he's averaging 101 at this stage across the year. I think the disappointing thing is, particularly after those first four games, we thought, oh, they've worked it out. They've worked out his role. His ceiling has been lifted. He's going to be pumping out huge scores for us. And, you know, he's young. He's developing. He's only going to get better with time. And... Since that injury and since coming back, you're right. They have seemed to asked him have asked him to play a bit taller. They seem to have given some duties, kick in, kick out duties to other players, and it's really limited his ceiling. He has been scoring tons, which is great, but we were thinking this guy was going to take it to to another level. He's just not been really given that opportunity to do so in the latter half of this season, which is very disappointing. Baz Lenka-Smith, and we don't need to put too much uh, into this one. He has been disappointing. People thought he's one of those classic players. It, it goes two ways when they take away DPP of a player. He was forward eligible last year, and you go, all right, I'm picking him this year because no one's going to pick him, and he's going to go gangbusters like uh, you know Christian Petrarca has done in the past. I'm struggling to think of names, but when players move to single position, they just get forgotten about. Bailey Smith was one of those players. He is now $100,000 cheaper than he was at the start of the year. He's $394,000. He's averaging just 83 points in the midfield. And most disappointingly of all, Foz, I think uh, is that Patch owns him in Supercoach. Yeah, no, I think Patch got rid of him not last week, but the week before, just before he dropped to 126, which was his first time oh, no. um, <laughs> since, since round one. So... Uh, that's classic patch. Just he's now lifted the curse on Baslenka, and and we we'll, should see him score pretty freely from now on, I'd imagine. But you're right in saying that he's been a disappointment. Obviously, with um, Adam Trelaw coming to the club, someone was going to miss out. Um, and at the start of the season, it looked like Bailey Smith was that player. Um, then Josh Dunkley got injured, and now Adam Trelaw got injured, and we're still seeing um, Bailey Smith play on that wing and half forward that we thought that he'd make that move back into the midfield and, and get those CBAs, but it just isn't happening. So um, I'd be worried about him picking him next year as well, um, unless he can make that sort of leap up into, and we're seeing him in the preseason playing really good football in the center. But, you know, if Dunkley stays, which it sounds like he is going to stay and Entrelaw comes back from injury, then, you know, who where's his, where's his CBAs coming from? Yeah, there's quite a few players I've got question marks over the Western Bulldogs for next year and whether they're going to be there slash what their role will be. One bloke who I didn't think I'd have any question marks from the Western Bulldogs is Caleb Daniel. And, you know, listeners of the podcast will know that I traded him out of us after his 19 and I missed all of his tons, but he's still been disappointing. He's the 29th ranked defender this year which is very poor. And yes, he's he missed a game through suspension. He's averaging 88. But this is a guy who I legitimately thought would 
by selecting at 540k would just average 110 this year. I just didn't see any situation where he didn't average 110 and he is not averaging 110. No, he's not. He um he has been a disappointment and that 19 score I remember in round 4 really was, you know, I guess a point of the season where everyone just decided that he was done and we went into the I remember in the preseason we went into the into the year full of hope for these rebounding defenders because of that stand rule that was brought in. We thought, oh, these blokes were, you know, taking the ball, kicking it out from from behinds and being able to take that extra five, ten meters and kick it long down the line um, are gonna be really beneficial um for these players and and then also being able to switch kick and not have any additional pressure from the man on the mark. Um, these sort of players are going to really benefit from these new rule changes. But in Caleb Daniel's case, we've seen Bailey Dale um, come in and, and play a similar role. And he's actually averaging seven points more than Daniel is. So it seems to be a, a bit of a changing of the guard there. Um, Daniel's pushed up onto a wing a little bit now, um, as well as just dropping back and playing that halfback role. But um it's a real interesting case because Daniel doesn't really fit the mold of a defender because of his size. Like he can't play a one-on-one defender. So he has to play this sort of rebounding role um, and peel off his, off his man. Um, So the wing makes more sense from a, from a football perspective, but that's not going to result in, in good super coach scores. No. And it it seems like the game has moved towards or coaches are utilizing not necessarily good kicks, when they're taking kickouts, uh, rather they're using long kicks because they want to get it beyond the 50. They want to get it towards the wing where they can, you know, cause a ball up or whatever, um, cause it uh, to go out of bounds. So Gab Daniel's not a long kick. He's a very good kick. And as a result, they haven't been able to use him in that same role. Occasionally they move him into the midfield. They're moving to the forward line. Like it's Bevo salad. He still has pumped out quite a few tons this year, but this is legitimately a, a player I'm disappointed in. I thought, we we're going to get Corey Enright numbers out of him this year, but it wasn't to be. All right, let's push through a couple of these. Jordan Degoe was a huge talking point in the preseason, one that I never totally bought into, and he's probably going to be a highly traded in player this week. But for the sake of the year on a whole, are we disappointed in Degoe? I'm not disappointed in him personally, because I didn't expect much from him at the start of the year. I know a lot of people have expected a lot from him and and thought he'd rotate into that midfield, um, especially with Trelaw leaving, but I never really bought into that hype. So he's having about the season that I thought he would have. Um, I don't think he should be playing football at all, if we're honest, but um, that's not not super coach related, so let's not get into that. Um, Yeah, I just don't think he has the the sort of the tank or the role to play as a, a pure midfielder um, and score massive points um, as a super coach option. So yeah, uh, he's I'm not that disappointed in him because I never expected him to average a hundred like people did. I thought sixty to eighty is is pretty much where he was at and he's averaging seventy two on the season. So that's it's about right. Yeah, I, I agree completely with everything you said. His last two rounds, 115 and 114, 32 touches in each of those. Uh, sorry, not 32 touches. Yes, 32 touches. I can't do maths in both of those. People are going to jump on him. 
I think this is kind of like what happened last year when he started playing well and everyone was like, oh, he's a lock for next year. I think it's a mistake. I think this is uh, this is all hashtag fake news. Sam Menegola, not a name that I thought we were going to be talking about, Foz. Tell me about the man. Well, he's a nice little piece for Geelong. He fits a, a very nice role as that wingman. Um, but this year, in terms of super coach, he hasn't played as well as last year. Um, he was quite... Uh, I wouldn't say popular, but he was a great pickup last season when he was play- as as a sort of mid-forward option because he was eligible in both positions. Um, but this year when he went to that, he's another player that when he went to that sole position, everyone sort of forgot about him, a bit like Christian Petrarca, like you spoke about, and also Bailey Smith. Um, but this year he hasn't really scored that well, especially with these new players that have come into the side. He's gotten a bit lost on that wing. Um, and especially with Mitch Duncan being sort of in and out of the side through injury, it's it's been a bit hard for him to really cement a, a role and um and have another wingman on the other side, you know, playing in a, a pretty similar way. Um, so he's only averaging the what is it, the eighty seven point two on the year, and that's coming off a, an average of one hundred and seventeen last season. So a massive drop. He's dipped a lot in price. He was almost six hundred k at the start of the season. So. You'd be really disappointed if you started him and held him. Um, he's not that well-owned. He's less than 1%. So um, I don't think he affects many players um, or super coaches. But um, he's only had two scores over 100. And one was a 152 against North. And the other one was a 130 against Western Bulldogs. So um, has not been relevant at all. Yeah, last last season was ranked 17th overall. Pumped out a 193 too. Haven't seen anything like that at all. He's not even top 17 mids this year. He's 65th ranked midfielder. So a real drop off. I have no idea if he's playing well for the Cats, but sometimes he wears sleeves and we bloody respect that here. Paddy Dangerfield, his teammate, has also been disappointing despite the fact that he's coming off a a 183-point effort. He's been disappointing. Yeah, he has, and, and it's another case of just being cursed with injuries. Um, you know, obviously got that cop that suspension in round one, which um, was quite disappointing. And then people who held him had to, you know, watch him come back and get injured, and then miss another eight weeks, and you'd have to trade him out anyway. So um, since returning from from his injury, he, he scored the the sixty six against Port, and then a couple of nineties. Um, and everyone was sort of looking at him then as that 515, 495k uh, player that was, oh yeah, this is the this is the week to get him in. Let's see how he goes. And he obviously came out with a massive score, um, but he's only played seven games or six games for the year. So um, definitely not what you'd expect from someone who you're paying over 600k for. Um, so yeah, massively disappointing year for, for Danger. No. And we know that he has obviously missed games from injury and suspension. He's the 117th ranked forward uh, forward mid, forward slash mid, and he was started in 52% of teams. So if 52% of coaches out there went, yeah, I'm, I'm locking in danger for a you know top 30 finish, well, he's 87 point places behind. 
But from this point on, it only matters, it only matters uh, what he scores through the rest of the year. But yes, very, very disappointing player. As is this man, the other end of the, end of the spectrum, Tyler Brockman. We thought he was going to be an awesome cash cow this year. What happened? Um, he just, as that small forward, he doesn't really fit the role that Hawthorne, he didn't, he didn't provide enough sort of pressure around the contest. Um, especially coming off having Poppy as that, that pressure forward. Um, we sort of needed someone to slot in and do that. And, um, Brocky hasn't really developed that side of his game yet. He came in and he kicked a couple goals and, you know, had that one good game against Richmond. But apart from that, he, barely got involved so um not exactly what we expected from him at the start of the year i think you know he was owned by a lot of uh, almost half the half the competition and uh people were really excited for him but then since round four we haven't seen him and he's been toiling away in the vfl and and not lighting it on fire so i don't think we'll see him again this year um maybe next year but at that stage his price is going to be ruined anyway yeah, it's 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 disappointing. It's a great word to use, disappointing. As was his teammate and boom recruit, who was started in 30% of teams, Tom Phillips. I personally am not disappointed by Tom Phillips because I didn't expect anything of Tom Phillips coming from uh, Collingwood, average 75 the year before. I know previously... In his career, he's averaged half-decent scores. I think he even might have uh, averaged 100 one year. I'm just trying to find that. Averaged 90 in 2018. But came over to the Hawks and hasn't missed games, but just hasn't impressed. Yeah, I think everyone got sucked into the, the midfield hype um, of a new recruit. And if you look at his play style, he was never going to play get many CBAs. He's a pure wingman. Um, even though for some reason Clarko used him as a, a center bounce sort of in and under player in the preseason, which is I think what attracted everyone to him. Um, but yeah, not a not one score in the hundreds. He's got a top score of 92 and then only one other score of 90, which was against Essendon in round one. So definitely been disappointing. Um, his style of, of football is not um, that attractive for Supercoach. So uh, there's a good reason why you shouldn't have started him. And yeah, now he's 50k cheaper than what he what he started the year at. Yeah, it hurts. It hurts. 31st ranked forward on the year. I think we can push on past him to another rookie who some people were talking about as the Supercoach rookie selection of the year at one point, round three and four, Nick Cox. Yeah, the hype of him as a footballer far outweighs the hype of him as a super coach selection. And um, whilst he seems to be the perma lock for um, the rising star, he hasn't been that attractive as a super coach option, which is a little bit disappointing. If you if you forked out the money for him, you haven't really seen any return on investment. He's hasn't cracked the hundred k just yet. Um, he's only gone up in by. $92,900 at the um, from the start of the year. So he's not scoring well enough to make the money. He's only averaging 55 on the year. And um, the only thing that's really valuable about him is that he's a defensive forward swing. So it makes it a bit easier to, to move him around as you trade in players and upgrade around him. 
Yeah, there'll be one person out there listening who's played him on field four times this year and got scores of 93, 97, 89, and 95, and I'm sure they'll be very happy. But I think broadly speaking, he just hasn't generated the cash that we needed him to um, and hasn't, even as an emergency loophole, hasn't provided the points that we needed him to. So, yeah, a bit disappointing in uh, big Nicky Cox. I would say this next guy is arguably the biggest disappointment for Supercoach in the year, and we probably should have known it was coming. I started him, this is Jordan Clark we're speaking about. I started him, I think you can go, I can't remember the language I used, but you can go and look at my team right up. I started him because he was in like 60% of teams, and I thought, if this goes one way, I just don't want to miss it. So I put him in as a safety mechanism in defense, and it was awful. Foz, it was awful, but I did jump off him fairly quickly. Yeah, and he's a massive disappointment for myself as well. Um, in the preseason, I feel like the preseason is a great time to sort of experiment with your side and, and see different sort of who would line up well. And um, obviously, because you've got that unlimited trade, sort of bringing in, bringing in players and ditching them pretty quickly if they play poorly. But um, I had CJ um, in my side instead of Clark for the most for the majority of the preseason. And then I think it was the second or the third preseason game or whenever it was, Clark had a massive outing playing as a wingman in the midfield, just killing it. I think he scored like 160 in a preseason match. And that's when I was like, okay, well, you know what? Clark won't get dropped. He'll play this role. You know, he seems to have earned it in the preseason and how wrong we were. Unfortunately, he's just been, yeah, massive disappointment. Disappointment of the year is is a pretty fair um, award for him to win. He'd it, be battling it out with Paddy Cripps, but um, as you said, a lot of people owned him, so it, it hurts a little bit less knowing that everyone suffered with me. Yeah, started in 54% of teams, high score of 80. Yeah, just a rough one. We can't, we just can't trust Geelong to play players. We just can't do it, and now he's injured, so like it, it gets even worse. He, he's not even going to get a chance to redeem himself. It doesn't feel like it. Let's move forward. We've got two more names on our list of disappointments. This one stings my soul. It's Zachy Williams. Came to the Blues, unfit. They said, we're going to play him in the midfield anyway. He got suspended, missed round one, and never really produced a score. Produced quite a few, like 85 to 89 scores. Then they finally conceded that they probably need to play him behind the ball. And he's he's been okay since then. He's been okay since then. He's had a couple of good games for the Blues, three tons, a 68 and an 80 in the last five games. But overall, given I had him as my lock of the the year, I had him as my lock of the year because I thought this is a defensive option who's sub 500k, he's going to play midfield. And I didn't think to myself, geez, he looks a little bit, a little bit unfit. And uh, I didn't select him because he missed round one, but that was probably a godsend, to be honest, Foz. But yeah, 8.6% of coaches started him, and he has been terrible for Supercoach and for footy mostly. Yeah, he's another player that we we sort of got lucky with the fact that he missed round one because, he, yeah, as you said, he, he's just been disappointing pretty much all year. Um, what I find interesting is he's only dropped 1.4K on his starting price. Um, and he's averaged 86 and a half. And if you said that you're paying 460K for someone who averages 86 on the year, you'd be disappointed, but it wouldn't be like a, a massive mistake. You pay more for 
you, or you would have paid more for Caleb Daniel for that average. So, um, but it's the fact that he's missed the four games and um, is probably what hurts a little bit more. And, and knowing that he did look like he was going to go into that midfield and, and play a, a pretty prominent role with Carlton. Um, and it hasn't really earned it or, or gotten that role. So, um, yeah, bit of a disappointing one, but for most coaches, a bit of a godsend knowing that he was in your side at the start of the year and then obviously that suspension saved everyone from selecting a dud. Yeah, I think the best thing that the club could do is come out at some stage next year in the off-season and say, no, we've made the call. Zach Williams is purely going to be behind the ball. We are not going to put him in the midfield. He is not up to that. And if they can do that, then I'll consider him again next year and get hurt again. But for this year, yeah, he's been disappointing. The, the disappointment comes from what should have been a really high potential and upside pick that just never eventuated. And the final player on our list, Foz, his name is Lloyd Meek. Some people might not even know who he is, but he's a ruckman from Frio. He's just been surpassed in a every single way by Sean Darcy and didn't provide us the ruck flexibility we thought we were going to get this year. Yeah, and I think it's more a, a disappointing pick for coaches who went with two rookie rucks at the start of the year alongside a, a Gorn or a Grundy because, you know, there was chaos about three or four rounds in when Flynn was dominating, but he got dropped and then Meek also got dropped at the same time and, you know, players like Patch were left without... Um, a ruckman on field and, and had to either cop a donut or make an early trade. Um, and we just haven't seen Flynn since round four. So um, that has been disappointing for, for coaches who owned him. Um, it's always a mistake going with a couple of rookie rucks. And I feel like people talk about it all preseason going, nah, you can't do it. You can't do it. And then they themselves get sucked into it and, and want to take a, take a chance on it and try and save some cash. And um, when has that ever worked? It doesn't work <laughs> unless you're picking Zach Smith when uh, a new club is being started. All right, let's finish up this podcast. We've been talking for far too long, Foz. It's just broken. We're recording this Monday night, just broken that this round's fixture will start on Thursday and end on Monday night. So it's going to be a nightmare for Supercoach, but community will do our best to keep you up to date. A quick couple of trade-in pieces of advice Foz, we'll just get a yay or a nay from you. We've got in the rookie stocks, we've got Jeremy Sharp. How do you feel about Jeremy Sharp? Um, no. Scores of, I believe he has had scores of 76 and 79 in his first two games, but he's an elevated 141K midfielder from Gold Coast. I think you're almost better finding a cheaper option than Jeremy Sharp out there, community. Yeah, Leo, at- oh, oh, sorry, you go. I was just going to say, I'm, I'm sort of you're sort of at the stage of the season where you you're not so much looking for these rookies to score well, and and you're also probably too late to be, you know, grabbing cash. It, it'd be you either want to bring him in for cover, and then that sort of makes sense. Um, but you'd also want a loophole option in some of your lines. So bring in a you know 102k rookie that isn't going to play. Um, that's you know, you know, uh, dual position eligible uh, is probably more valuable to your team in the run home than a slightly elevated rookie. Yeah, and I so I think we can apply that logic to Leo Connolly, defender, midfielder, 123,900, break-even of 15 for St. Kilda. He's only had scores of 23 and 35. I don't think anyone's jumping on him, but the man I really want to talk about with you 
is Connor Nash. On the bubble, Connor Nash. Has he played two games this year? <laughs> uh, he, I mean, he has. I don't know if you'd classify them as playing. Yeah, he's a... Um, I can't wait for the end of the year so we can delist him. Um, but, yeah, he... Don't bring... For the love of no. God, <laughs> do not bring he's, him Connor Nash. Connor Nash is $193,400. His break-even of seven, is 70. He's projected to lose 17 grand. He's had two scores of 18 and 25 this year. Do not select Connor Nash. He sucks. In terms of primos, Foz, it's like at this stage of the season, if you've got trades and you're finishing your team, you know who you want to get. Get the absolute Jets if you can. Even bargain picks this week. We've got like Rowan Marshall at sub 450K, Bailey Dales, reasonably cheap, Jordan DeGoey, sub 450K, Christian Slalem, sub 500K, but like, there's not a lot of must trade in players this week. No, it's not, and it, and it's really, as you said, a case of just finishing your team and trying to bring in um, the blokes that you do want, and um, whether that's someone who's 600k just to finish your midfield and is averaging 120 on the year, like a Tuke Miller or someone of that caliber, then then that's awesome. Otherwise, if you strap for cash and you've got to find value somewhere to to fill an F6 or a D6, then um, just someone who fits that mold of, you know, with a good run home, relatively healthy and is scoring pretty well. I think run home is really important. So I'd be looking at Geelong and Brisbane players in particular, playing some pretty weak teams and um, that sort of fits in for your, you know, Jared Lyons and your, um, and your Paddy Dangerfields. I agree wholeheartedly community. Thank you for listening. Trade in whoever your heart desires as long as it's not Connor Nash. And Foz, thank you very much for joining the podcast. Where can people find you? Oh, just on the internet. Um, on Twitter, MattForest29. I'm, I sort of buzz around to the the panic room every Friday, um, which is a lot of fun, um, being able to, to chat with the community and sort of panic together on the on the way through to, you know, a terrible supercoach school. <laughs> You do fantastic work, mate. We bloody love having you on board. Thank you for joining me. Good night, community. Good luck. And it's going to be a long, long round of this week, Thursday to Monday. So we'll get through it.